Hey, let's open our uh, Bibles to Matthew chapter 21 today, shall we? Uh, it's Palm Sunday, also known as the day of the triumphal entry, and uh, I'm kind of, I want to do this little arc of the next few weeks, uh, including Good Friday about the King, about King Jesus, and, and really uh, kind of some of the things that he has done, and, and today, focusing on the fact of the King entering Jerusalem, uh, we call it Palm Sunday, but really the, in your Bible, I'm sure the heading calls it the triumphal entry. It really is, is more about the king than it is about the palm branches. And we don't have any palm branches, or I'd give you one. I'd, I didn't think of it ahead of time. But it's not really that important. What's important is the fact that the king came to Jerusalem. What's important is that the, the king is Jesus. In Revelation chapter 19, it says this, On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the one that we're going to talk about today. Let's read, starting in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and they did as Jesus had instructed them. They they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for your Son, who is the one that came into Jerusalem that day, some 2,000 years ago, as king. And we pray today, Lord, that you would uh, stir us up, like the city, the people in that city were stirred up when, when Jesus entered that city. Stir us up, Lord, in Jesus' name. King Jesus, don't you just love that? And, and, you know, it's not something that you and I think much about in our society, but if you lived in England, you'd be thinking about it, and really it's the queen. And poor, poor Charles, you know, I think about him. Uh, Prince Charles, you know, he... He would just love to be king, right? But she's just not going to give it up. And, you know, she is not going to give him much of a chance. So really, it's, he might get a few years, although she's gone on and on and on and on to be the queen. And, and uh, poor Prince Philip, he just kind of gets to watch. But they have this monarchy sits, you know, set up there in, in England and and we know about it, you know, the, the, the kids have been in the news lately, and the grandkid, and, and, you know, the next in line, and the next in line to be the king of England. 
and they've been in the news, and everybody, you know, they come, and everybody's going, oh, wow, ooh. You know, they, they enter a room, and everybody all, gets all excited. And, and, uh, but when you think about the situation in England, and, and that the reality of it is there's a queen there, and there will be a king someday. But really, what do they do? Really? Do they have any power? Do they have any say in, in the people's lives? They, you know, kind of, kind of uh, on paper they do. The queen is actually the head of the, of the Church of England, and the king will one day be the head of the Church of England. But really, they don't have an extremely a lot amount of power, but they do have a lot of money. And they do get a lot of money, although, you know, they, they say, well, you know, we, we're kind of having a rough go of it here now. We didn't, you know, quite get enough to make all, take care of all those properties that we have, you know. But, but thinking, that, that's kind of the closest thing that we have. Though, though America kind of, we broke away because we didn't want the king, right, telling us what to do. One of my favorite sayings in all of life is this, you're not the boss of me. That's one of my favorite sayings. You're not the boss of me. Why is that? And we, and we start that off when we're just little kids. You're not the boss of me. Really? The kids say it to their sister or to their brother. And then if they're really bold, they say it to their mom or their dad. And then you see what happens. You're not the boss of me. Oh, really? Get in your room right now. <laughs> Sit in that chair. You, we'll see if I'm not the boss of you. It's time out. We have on the, you know, state house. What do we have up on top of the state house? The independent man. We have this autonomous, you know, we're going to, I'm going to make all the decisions for my life. Say so we talk about the king, King Jesus here, but we, we, you know, when it really gets down to what our lives are really like, is he really the king? Is he really on the throne? Who's on the throne? We're not the king. He's the king. And the king came into town and the place was stirred. Now, we know, because we know the rest of the story, that, that he didn't just come in and set up his kingdom right then and there. He, he will do that someday. But there were some things that the king needed to do, and we'll talk on Good Friday and, and then on Easter about what the king came to do first. And the fact, and, and I think it's important for us to keep in mind who came and did those things. It was King Jesus who came and died on the cross. It was King Jesus who came and rose from the dead. It was King Jesus who's going to return back for us. This last week we're looking at here, uh, you know, that we, we call, the some people call, I don't know what they call it, it doesn't really matter, but the last week before the, the cross, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and it's, it's kind of like the final approach. It's the last week, and it's, it's really very important in, in a lot of ways, but, but Matthew, he devotes like one quarter of his gospel to the last week of Jesus' life. Mark, he goes like to a third of his gospel the last week. Uh, Luke does about a fifth, but John 
The Gospel of John looks at the last week of Jesus like half of his whole gospel is that last week. That's kind of important. That's kind of important. So why do we make a big deal out of it? Because it is a big deal. It's huge. King Jesus. So he's on this final approach. He's all, everything's all lined up. You know, they're fixed on the runway. And, and for Jesus, you know, they didn't, all of the people didn't understand, but he had his mind fixed on one thing. And what was that one thing that he was fixed on? The cross. He's lined up. He's heading that way. And he heads into Jerusalem. But it's interesting to see in this passage here, in this entry, it, it really is all about him being the king. It's really all about him being the king. We see it in the prophecy in verse 5 there. Your king comes to you. It's prophesied by Zechariah some 500 years before. So they approached Jerusalem, it says in verse 1. They came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives and, uh, Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent his two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. Jesus, he comes in Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem... And, or you can you know, watch these videos, or you have the city of Jerusalem, it's a bunch of hills, and then, and then the Mount of Olives is like this, and there's a, a big valley in between, and it kind of comes like, like this. So, so he's, he's coming into the Mount of Olives, and when he goes into Jerusalem, then he goes down the hill, and then he'll come up a little bit to the, to the, city, of, to the city of Jerusalem and the, the Temple Mount. So from up on the... Mount of Olives, you look down over the Temple Mount and you can see the city of Jerusalem uh, out ahead of you. King Jesus, he's up there on the Mount of Olives. He's looking out over. It's a perfect view of the city of Jerusalem, a perfect view of what he was coming to. This Mount of Olives is a very important place as well. It's kind of interesting, now you go there, and we've been up on the Mount of Olives many times, you go up there, there's a little lookout place there, and there are guys that sell things, there's a guy with a camel, and we've been on a camel ride up there and everything, there are people that pick pockets up there, we had somebody in our group, they had their money stolen out right out of their, their little purse. But this Mount of Olives at the time of Jesus, interesting place. The Garden of Gethsemane is located on that mountainside, on that little hillside. It says that, that Jesus ascended into heaven. When he ascended, he ascended from there, the Mount of Olives. And it also says in Zechariah that he's going to return to earth there. It says that, that he will stand, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. Something radical is going to happen there. So this is where Jesus is. He's now coming into the cities. He, you know, he knows all these things, of course. They didn't know all these things, but he knows all these things. And he, and he says, listen, there's a village. And there were little villages there at the time. And he says, go there, find the donkey, he sends two of his disciples, and he, he, I think he likes to send people out by twos. I think there's something special about it. There's accountability. There's a lot of good things about having partners that you can work with. And he says, go to, there, to that village, and, and find, you're going to find a donkey there with a colt, and then tie them and bring them to me, he said. 
And if anyone says anything to you, just tell them that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. That's kind of it. Just tell them that, you know, you need it. The Lord needs it. Just going to take it. I mean, if you can imagine someone coming and, 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 and just taking your car, right? You, you know, that's what they had for transportation. Someone comes to your house, they, they just get in your car and they're just like hot wiring it and they're just going to take the thing. And you, and, and you go like, what are you doing? with my car and you're ready to call the police and they say, well, the Lord needs this car. What would you say? Really? I think if we really realized what it would be like, we would realize it was a privilege that the Lord would use something that I had, something that I own, something in my life, something that, that I could actually participate in some way, somehow. We don't know who the owner of that donkey was, but here we read about this donkey being a very important and integral part of it. We don't know who it was. But it was a privilege. It was an honor. And I wonder sometimes, the Lord needs something from that person? The Lord needs something from you and from me? The Lord needs what we have? That's what he said there. The Lord needs it. But he's the king. He's the Lord. But he needs something that you and I might have. He needs us to participate. That's what it says, right? It says, untie them and bring them to me. I wonder if sometimes the stuff that we have, it's just stuff, right? But the stuff that we have, it's all tied up and we and it can't be used. I, my life is... You know, it's all, I'm all tied up. I can't help out. I can't get involved. I can't do anything. But the king is coming. The king is getting... The king is in need. The king is, is, is coming into the city. The king is on the way in. I think we need to look at our stuff sometimes and just say, listen, if you need it, it's yours. We don't even say that to our friends, really. We, we, we might say it, but we don't really mean it, you know. Well, if you need anything, let me know. I hope they don't call me. If you need, uh, you know, if you have a need, just let me know and I'll come and help you out. Well, but that's mine. It says there in verse 4 that what happened was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, your king, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What a beautiful picture that is. Your king comes to you, righteous, and having salvation. Quoting from Zechariah 9.9, gentle and riding on a donkey. Your king, is he your king? Is he my king? Years ago, I, I uh, put together a song and, you know, we were studying the gospel of Matthew and, and really one of the main themes in the gospel of Matthew is the kingdom of God, where God is king, Jesus being the king. And uh, really, you know, it's 
again, as I've already mentioned, this idea of, uh, is someone going to be the boss of me? But I wrote, I wrote these words, Dear God, I'm tired of running my own life. Besides that, I know, it. I know that it's not right. Dear God, I want you. I want you as king. You made us, Lord. You have the right. I want to be in your kingdom, not mine. We have a choice to make every single day. Who's going who's gonna to be in charge today? You say, well, that's kind of strange. That's kind of mystical. You know, somebody else like God being in charge of my life? Yes, it is possible, and it's real, and it's true. But it's you and I making a choice every single day. But notice how he comes. He comes gentle, riding on a donkey. He will never force himself upon you and upon me. He won't, he won't tell you this, you know, this is the way it's going to be. There will come a time when he, when he you know, brings everything to its final conclusion and, and, and he's going to set up his kingdom finally. But at this point in time, we have a choice to make. It's our choice. <coughs> he comes with humility and peace. So the disciples, it says they went and they did just what he told them to do. And, and I think that's good, too, that we do what Jesus instructs us to do. It's kind of important, I think. They followed through. Made me think about Mary, his mother, at the wedding in Canaan. And uh, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. That's really kind of what we need to do too, isn't it? When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration in a few chapters earlier, uh, it says that, that there was a voice from heaven, a voice that said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And, and Mary said, Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you to do. Is he still telling us what to do today? Yes, he is. Does he still have a plan for my life today? Yes, he does. Is he still wanting to be involved in my life on a daily basis? Yes, he does. Is he the king? Your king, he says, comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey. He came into Jerusalem, the king. Look at verse 7. It says they... They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. It was this one guy's donkey, and now it's their cloaks, again, being used by the king. It's, it, it becomes a part of what he's doing. Different people now involved. Verse 8, it says, A large, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. That's where we get the palm branch. They spread out their cloaks on the road. They put them on the, on the ground so that the king could ride on those coats and those branches. It was an act of really worship, an act of homage. It's like, it's like what they do in Hollywood where they roll out the red carpet. There's one big difference, of course, that in Hollywood they lift up human beings. Here they're lifting up Jesus, the King. Very big difference. Jesus, the King. 
Verse 9, it says that, that the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. They shouted. Notice that. They didn't whisper it. They shouted. They, they saw this is radical. They shouted. They got involved. They said, whoa. While we were having worship today, I went back to the kids' worship, and there were some kids in there. They were shouting. Not all of them, but some of them, they were getting into it. They shouted. They said, Hosanna. They were singing, some, they sing a lot of the same songs that we sing here. They shouted to the king, Hosanna to the son of David. Now you have to understand what was taking place here in Jerusalem at that time, and for the Jewish nation as a whole, they were looking and waiting for Messiah to come. They wanted Messiah to come. Ultimately, though, they were waiting for Messiah to come and set up his kingdom, and so they, but they were waiting for it, and then Jesus is now coming and fulfilling this prophecy in Zechariah. They're saying, yes. They're quoting now from Psalm 118. Again, prophesying what would one day take place and, and this, this phrasing of Hosanna to the son of David. And this word Hosanna means save now. That's what it meant. They were shouting, save now, save us now. Again, they kind of had a little different picture in their mind. They, they thought that, that the king would come, set up his kingdom, free them from the domination of Rome and, and you know, the... The, the rule of Rome over them. That's what they were waiting for. They were expecting the king to come and take over. But was he going to do that right then? No. He was going to save. The prayer was right. Save now. It later became, it kind of changed into an exclamation of praise. Hosanna to the son of David. Exclamation of praise to him. But really the, the, the heart of the word means save now. And the king is coming into Jerusalem and he was going to save now. He was going to fulfill that prophecy. Not the way that they had expected at this point in time. But God does do that sometimes, doesn't he? We kind of have the expectation of how he's going to answer our prayers, of how he's going to work in our lives. And, and he rarely, I have to say, he rarely does it the way that I think it should go. And, and sometimes when our prayers are like, God, I really would like you to uh, hear me now and help me, and this is how I would like you to hear me and help me. And do it just like this. That doesn't sound much like him being the king. That sounds like still me being the king, and I'm directing him as kind of like, I'm in charge. He was going to save now, but he had to come first to be the Savior. Blessed is the King of Israel, John adds. Hosanna in the highest, they shouted, they sang. Again, so much of this coming out of the Psalms and 
the worship of the Psalms. Praise the Lord, Psalm 148. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. The King. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Let's read some of what Luke wrote about this. Luke chapter 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And starting in verse 38 through 42. <clears throat> Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This shouting that was taking place in the Pharisees, those religious leaders, they're saying, listen, this is way too noisy. This is out of control. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace... But now it is hidden from your eyes. He goes on to talk about what was going to happen to the city of Jerusalem in a very short period of time. If you only knew the answer. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. We don't always remember that when we think about the <coughs> triumphal entry, but he looked out over the city, and again, the view over the city was phenomenal, it's incredible, and he wept over it because their, their hearts weren't open to, to the king. They didn't know what they needed. Someone wrote this, they said that uh, long before Jesus entered into Jerusalem, Ju Julius Caesar, he had a triumphal entry into Rome. He had had all these victories. He defeated Gaul and, and Africa and Egypt and Asia. But in less than two years, it says he was dead. But Christ had a far more modest triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but he is alive forevermore. I'm sure it was very different when Julius Caesar came into Rome. But Christ, the king, comes to you gentle riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Back to Matthew 21, it says in verse 10, when, the, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? The whole city was stirred. They're, they're shouting along the way. They're putting these things on the road for him to ride on. It's, it's like, what is going on here? They, they still kind of don't know, at least in the city itself, the people are are wondering who in the world is this, but this word for stirred is interesting. It's, it, it, it is a word that is called sio, and it's S-E-I-O, it's, and it's from where we get our word seismic. They were shaken, like, what? Who is this? The, the city is stirred, they're shaken. The Strong's, uh, uh, Strong's definition is to rock or to move or to shake or to quake. Jesus entering the city. Now, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't making that happen. He wasn't shouting at everybody. But the, this simple 
modest entrance of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem is causing this to happen. Why? Why? I wonder why. And I think it's because of who he was, because of who he is entering into the city. He was already king. They didn't need to make him king. He was already the king. And Jesus has a way of doing this. When he, when he enters people's lives, he has a way of shaking and rocking and moving our worlds. He has a way of, of shaking the comfortable and comforting the shaken, as some have written. I know he changed my life. He rocked my world, that's for sure. That was many years ago, but you know what? He still wants to do it today. Not because he wants to make me uncomfortable, but because he's the king. He's the king. He's King Jesus. And I need, I need to, you know, we, we, we sing that song, you know, Jesus, take your place. His place is the king, the king of my life. The king of this world, the king of every human being. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. But we get to choose, and we get to do it now. He proclaims to be all these things, to be God, to be Savior, to be Lord, and to be King. And, and we have to grapple with these things. He came into Jerusalem. It was actually the time of the Passover. And, and the Passover time would be the time where they would take a lamb, they would slaughter a lamb, and they would take the, the blood of the lamb and they would mark the top of the doorframe and the sides of the doorframe with the blood of the lamb. And, and really it's kind of a picture, isn't it, of the cross. But he was coming at this time and, and the city was packed with people. And here comes the king. And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They said he was a prophet, but of course we know he was more than just a prophet. Interesting thing, and we're, we're going to get to this later in the week, though, is a few, a few days later, the crowds that were shouting out and answering and stirred up that are saying that he's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee, but a few days later, they would be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus, he enters the city. Your king comes to you. Is he my king? Is he your king? In every sense of the word, in the biggest sense of the word, not like in England, not just a figurehead. Well, I've got a picture of Jesus on my wall. I've got, you know, I wear a crucifix around my neck. We can, not that those things are bad, but is he really the king in my heart, in my life? I want to take you for a little journey as we, as we wrap this up in the Gospel of Matthew about how. What does it mean for the kingdom of God? It means where he is king, the rule of God in one's life. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to just walk through this. Matthew chapter 4. We'll march quickly through here. How do we make him our king? 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The first thing is to repent. Jesus preached that message. John the Baptist preached that message. What does it mean to repent? Repentance isn't a bad word. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. Repentance is a good word because it means turning away from our way to Him. It's a change of direction from us being on the throne to Him being on the throne. The throne. To turn. That's the first thing. Repent. Make a change. Make a turn. Have you made that turn? Have I made that turn? Where we say, you know what? I'm tired of running my own life. I want you to be the king. I'm going I'm to turn away from my way to your way. How about Matthew chapter 6, verse 10? This is something you're all going to know. I know. How do I know that? Because you were raised here in this state. And we've all been taught this prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer. We've all been taught it. To pray for it. Look at verse uh, 10. And as you read that, you probably, it's going, it's just repeating in your head the whole prayer there, right? It's just because you know it. But look what he says there. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer. This is a prayer of our hearts that, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. In heaven now, God's will is, is and the will of the king is being done. But, but it's not so here on earth, obviously. But to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just a rote prayer that we just repeat like, you know. It's, it, it means something. How about verse 33? Probably most of you are going to remember this verse too. Verse 33, chapter 6. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So we repent, we make a turn, we pray for His kingdom. And, but here it says he's, we should seek it first. The context there is like all the things you might need in life, you know, what to eat, what, you know, what, what am I going to eat, what am I going to drink, what am I going to wear, all these things that they're important. But he says, you know, first of all, seek His kingdom where He is king and His righteousness. And all this stuff is going to take place. All this stuff's going to be taken care of. Repent, we turn to Him. We pray, we seek His kingdom first. How about Matthew chapter 11? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This one I'm talking, uh, I've... I've uh, entitled it Abdicate. We repent, we pray, we seek, 
but we need to abdicate our seat on the throne and accept His rule over us. Look what it says in verse 28. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke, that, that's speaking about him being in charge, putting that yoke on, his yoke. But doesn't that tie in well with the entrance of Jesus on the, in the, the donkey, you know, gentle? Doesn't that tie in well? He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We, he said, you know, you can't be the boss of me because you're going to be harsh with me. You're going to tell me what to do. You're going to make my life difficult. You're going to ruin my life. Uh-uh. No. He says, take my yoke. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's where the rest is, you see. That's where the peace is. That's where the, the growth is, is when we submit and we abdicate the, the kingdom and let him be the king. That's where it's at. It's probably the most important verse in this whole, in this whole package here. Abdicate, accept his rule, and we'll find peace and rest. How about Matthew chapter 13? A couple more left, only a few more. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. There are many others here, but we're, uh, we're just looking at a few. Verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of them of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. There's something about going after it. There's something about, you know, realizing that this is treasure, this is, this is valuable, and that everything else isn't, isn't worth anything compared. It says they sold all they had and they went and bought that field and, and to go after it. that nothing else is really, is really as important as him being the king. Nothing else. Nothing else. The pearl of great price. Matthew chapter 18. One more in Matthew, and then we'll close with one in John. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. says, Starting in verse 2, he said, he called a little child and he had him stand among them and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Something about just entering like a little child and in, in, in simplicity, accepting his rule over me, just like a little child, just like a young child child. He says, if you don't, he says, you're never going to get in. You're not going to be able to enter in. If, you, if you're going to come in with demands, <laughs> if you're going to come in telling you know, me what you want and, and, and your list of, of needs, you know, 
little child, when and he's speaking here, now children can be a pain, I know that, I understand that, but when a child just trusts in the parent that they're going to take, they don't get up worrying about the mortgage in the middle of the night. They don't, you know, worry about where the food's going to come from in most cases, right? They just trust. Trust in the king. And finally, John chapter 3, let's turn there. John chapter 3, the king, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. John chapter 3, verse 3. He says, Jesus speaking to you know, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee or religious ruler, says, he declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And how can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. He says, if you want to be able to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Without the spiritual birth in our lives, you, you can't proclaim to have Jesus as your king unless you are born again by the Spirit of God. That's not just some little catchy, um, you know, uh, kooky phrase. Oh, you're one of those born-agains. Yes, I am. And unless I'm born again, I, 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 will, I can't enter the kingdom of God. I can't even see the kingdom of God unless I surrender my life and let God do this work in my life and, and transform me. I don't have a clue. I don't have a chance. Got to be born again. That's why we need to pray for people. We need to Pray for ourselves. Maybe we're, we're not there yet. I, I, you know, you're saying, you keep talking about King Jesus. I have, I have a clue what you're talking about, but sounds kind of interesting and all that. But Well, maybe you need to be born again by the Spirit of God where your life is transformed from the inside out and let Him do a work. And that's what the people around us need too. We can talk to we're blue in the face, but until that work transforms the heart and life, it's not going to get through. King Jesus, the kingdom of God. Repent, pray, seek, abdicate, go after it, enter like a little child, and be born again. But Jesus is our king. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we come before you this morning, and, and uh, we think of the king, this king that entered Jerusalem so many years ago, but... He was gentle, and he brought, he brought salvation. He brought the, the salvation that we needed, and, it, and it, it didn't come the way that they thought, but it came the way of the cross and, and the resurrection. The simple gospel truth that you died for my sin, that you were buried and you rose from the dead. The king died for my sin. The king rose from the dead. The king who rode into Jerusalem that day, fulfilling all the prophecy. 
we proclaim you as king today, Lord, and, but I also pray that we would also live with you as king on a daily, a daily basis, a day-by-day basis. Lord, we surrender, and, and uh, I know I, Lord, I, I confess so often I jump back on that throne. I want to take over. I want to be the boss. So every day I need to surrender to you, Lord, and say, be the king. Be the king of my life today. Father, I pray for any here today that maybe are on the outside looking in and, and they want eternal life. They want what you have uh, offered to them and that love, that great love that, that, uh, that came and, and gave your life for them. And, and, and I know that today is a good day. That maybe today is a day for them to surrender and, and let the King enter their hearts and lives. If that's you today, you simply just open your life, open your heart and, and say, Dear Jesus, come in. Be my King. I believe in the cross. I believe that you died for my sin and that you rose from the dead. And I confess you as my Lord, my Savior, my King today. Father, thank you for sending your Son. How beautiful is that? But Jesus, we worship you and we say Hosanna. We offer you that worship. Hosanna to the King, the King of Kings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.